Welcome uh, to iFoster Futures. Uh, I'm Sarita, your co-host, and let me introduce my wonderful co-host, Kiara Green. Kiara, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today, and I'm excited for our person that will be with us today, so I'm very excited. Yeah, today's going to be a great day. I mean, we always hear foster youth, former foster youth talking about they want to be advocates, they want to advocate for system change. But what does that really mean? How do we actually do that as opposed to just yelling about the things that we don't like about child welfare, which is, you know, what we do uh, quite frequently here at iFoster. But how do you truly become an advocate and how do you make changes in the government and change child welfare for the better. And there's nobody better to tell us about that and how we do that than uh, our guest today. Today we are interviewing Rochelle uh, Trottenberg. She is California State's ombudsperson. And in fact, Kara, she's actually the first former foster youth to ever hold that position. Can you believe that? I cannot believe it. And that is completely amazing. Yeah, although, you know, it's a little concerning that she's the first one and child welfare has been around for a long time. Uh, but I'm glad they're finally getting their act together and real, realizing that you, we need uh, people with lived experience in those kind of positions to really change the system for the better. So uh, and not only does Rochelle have lived experience, she's been an advocate since 2008 when she stood up at a conference. And can you actually believe that she stood up at a conference and she gave her opinion to everybody else? It was a bunch of leadership people from child welfare on the group home system. So you can imagine how that went down. But that didn't stop her. She went from there to uh, becoming a role model and advocate for foster youth. Uh, we're so excited to have her today uh, to learn about her career path. She is a former foster youth herself. So how did she get from exiting care, being in a group home, exiting care, to now being the ombudsperson for all foster care in the state of California? So let me introduce Rochelle. Rochelle, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Um, it's very excited to be with you this morning. Um, let's start with what you do. Not all of our audience members know what an ombudsperson is, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, but can you can explain for people like what your role is in California? Sure, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, so the ombudsperson or the Office of the Foster Care Ombudsperson is basically an in independent office under the Department of Social Services that serves all foster children in California. And the role of the office is to receive complaints and to try and help resolve um, those issues that come up for young people in care. So we take complaints related to um, issues with placement, with services, um, anything about the care they're receiving or not receiving, and, and when their rights, they feel like their rights are being violated, my office is responsible um, to try and resolve those. So we are here to hear from foster youth and just try and help them um, just make sure that they're having 
um, a voice in their own case um, and in their own placement. And um, again, to, to, to be a place where somebody's listening to their voice. Um, our office was started about 20 years ago when foster youth went to the Capitol um, through the California Youth Connection and said that foster youth deserve to have a voice in California where somebody is listening um, to what's happening to them and is able to, um, to help, again, resolve and navigate the different types of issues that we face when we're in foster care. So it's a really weird word. It comes from Swedish um, origins, this idea of an ombudsperson, but at, at its most simplest, it just means that it's an independent um, entity that's neutral. It's, we don't take anyone's side, but we're here to, to get those complaints and to try and come up with a resolution that meets the needs of foster youth. That is completely awesome. And that's so amazing what you guys' um, just program does and stuff. So what is your vision for youth growing up in foster care? Well, wow, that's a big question. Um, I would say the most important thing that um, foster youth experience is love. Um, it's a system where we often feel unloved and unwanted. Um, we're judged for things that were beyond our control. Um, and uh, living in, a, in, in foster care means dealing with really complicated bureaucracies, um, the court, the child welfare system, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we forget that, that children want to be loved. They want to be wanted. Um, and my hope is that any child who enters foster care feels loved and cared for. Um, and that's hard to legislate, but so necessary. It, it is hard to legislate, but I think that there are, um, yeah, it's, it, it's impossible to legislate. But there are pieces along the way that I think can show uh, foster youth that they are cared, they are supported. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you, we got uh, at iFoster to work with you all on is bridging the digital divide. And I just think it's a great example of how in your position, we we can provide laptops and phones to kids uh, in care, but without the the um, recommendation, the requirements coming from the government that this is okay, we, we know we wouldn't get equitable distribution. Some, some social workers, some caregivers would say yes, and some would say no, and we wouldn't have that equity, uh, which quite frankly goes to that, uh, to foster youth feeling like they're part of, you know, that they're cared for and that they're treated just like other children. So tell us, how did that happen? I mean, you made a legislative change to ensure that foster youth have access to technology and communications. It's in the Foster Care Bill of Rights. And I believe it's the only one, the, we are the only state that has that. So how does that happen? <laughs> Great question. Um, so, you know, in the five years that I've been in the position as the ombudsperson, um, the most important thing to me has been to work to update the Foster Youth Bill of Rights. So there was two pieces of legislation that led to that. One was AB 1067, which required the Department of Social Services in my office to look at state law and to make recommendations on how the Bill of Rights should be updated. Um, and then AB 175 was passed and went into effect January of last year. And basically what we learned is that 
by talking to foster youth, by going out and conducting focus groups and hearing directly from them, that access to technology and the internet was one of the most pressing issues preventing them from feeling like they're a part of society, from feeling loved and cared about, um, from being able to access their dreams related to education and other um, uh, you know, connections with, with siblings and relatives and coaches and mentors. Um, and so we worked with advocates, we worked with foster youth, we worked with the legislature and AB 175 passed and it updated the Bill of Rights. And it's the first uh, update to the Bill of Rights comprehensively since it was developed 20 years ago. Um, so this year actually is the 20th anniversary of foster youth in California having a Bill of Rights. And to have the, these rights updated to reflect modern times is so important. Um, and even more important, since we now have been in a pandemic for over a year now, um, can you imagine what it would be like if foster youth didn't have the right to access technology and the internet? You'd be cut off from your visits, you'd be cut off from your, your CASAs, your teachers, from school, um, siblings, all the people you love and care about, um, social workers. Um, and so having that and having this partnership with iFoster to get that technology out and to educate people that foster youth have this right and denying them that right puts them at a disadvantage across their lifespan um, because we live in a digital age. We live in a technological age, right? Um, and foster youth deserve to have that access. And so um, through lots of partnerships and stakeholders, we were able to make policy changes to ensure that. Um, and now we're in that process of really making sure people are educated and know, and that they know where to go to get the resources that they need. It, and I think what you've done is so phenomenal. We work in other states, and there, and it is not included in the Foster Care Bill of Rights. And there, and while you might have some leaders who really think it's important, uh, and you are absolutely right, across the country, we've just done a massive survey of caregivers and transition age foster youth, and they all say that access to technology is so fundamentally important. But if it's not in the Bill of Rights, then it can be interpreted in any way, and you don't get equity. And we're seeing that across states right now. So I really, really hope, and any states out there who are listening to it, follow California's lead on this. It's so vitally important. Yeah, and it's definitely really good because as a former foster youth myself back in 2009, cell phones was like the, for foster group home, they thought as people that were like youth, they just thought that we were trying to get away from the group homes, trying to have like a way to find our families and stuff, but no, it's actually just trying to get more resources or just help and stuff. So when it came down to that, when it was like a cell phone you had, they didn't want you, they were thinking you were suspicious or just laptops, like who are you getting in contact with? That was kind of um, irritating for me or just any other foster youth that was a part of a group home because they want to learn resources and other people to get in contact with if they're in need and help. So today how technology just builds up where we can use it while we're in like a group home or just anything amazing. We don't have to feel scared that we want to contact like people for help or just resources for help if there's not enough resources in the group home that can provide that. So that's very good and stuff. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, right? Is sometimes people are scared that if we give young people, particularly young people in foster care, access to the internet or to technology or to cell phones, that bad things will happen. Um, but what I would argue is that 
we need to provide young people these opportunities to learn and develop skills online and to keep themselves safe. And that's one of the things I really love about the iFoster program um, and that I've really appreciated in our partnership is that you're also educating young people and you're educating caregivers on how to use this technology safely. Um, and, and, and that can be done. Um, you know, putting parental controls on phones is a normal thing now for parents to do with young people. But to deny it outright and say no because we're afraid you might do something dangerous or scary doesn't help young people learn how to be safe in the world with that technology. And in addition to that, um, you know, with education in, in foster care, when I left foster care, I hadn't really ever used a computer. Um, and, and so when I wanted to go to college, it was this incredible learning curve of how to even use technology, how to use the internet, how to use a computer that I had to learn in addition to school, where my peers had that background already and they had that access. And so they had a step ahead um, and a step up to be more successful. And so by giving this to young people now, we're really ensuring their ability to be safe and productive and um, competent in using technology to navigate the world. Um, and so I think it's just so important that we don't run away from it because it's scary, but instead we teach about how to, how to make that a useful and safe thing for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And Rochelle, tell us more about how you advocate and get changes made. I mean, we all want to shout that the system needs to be changed, like overall. Um, that's what I went through. Others should not have to, but being angry doesn't get the response. How, how did you do it? What skills did you use? <laughs> Those are great questions. Um, one is I got connected really early on with um, some folks that, that were former foster youth that had become um, really successful and they were teaching us leadership and advocacy skills. Um, so that meeting that Sarita mentioned in the beginning, um, I was invited to this meeting where a, a, a leader said they wanted to hear from young people. Um, and I felt like I had nothing to lose at that point. I had already left the system. I'd already been homeless. I'd already fought through homelessness to be housed to get it, and then to get into a higher education um, program. And so I felt like I had to say something. I felt like I was in a room of people who wanted to listen um, and and the truth needed to be spoken. Um, so it takes, I think, a lot of uh, courage to keep speaking up and saying what's wrong. People don't always wanna hear what's wrong, but we need to hear what's wrong. And often I try to tell folks, if you know what's wrong, come with ideas of solutions. Um, and that when we start talking about solutions together, I think we can come up with um, ways to fix the system. So for the Bill of Rights is a great example. Um, we needed to go out and talk to people. We needed to hear what's working and not working. And we needed to hear what young people need to be successful. And then we put that into legislation. Um, so getting involved in advocacy organizations, getting involved um, like the California Youth Connection, um, joining even the Tay AmeriCorps program and getting into that program, you're advocating for young people in that role. Um, and that's powerful. Um, so I would say getting involved um, in organizations is one of the best ways to have the support and get the training and skill to, to do that. Um, I'm a total nerd. And so I love like going into the Capitol and sitting and watching, um, you know, pre-COVID anyways, the hearings and learning how the laws are made and how any of us can walk into the Capitol or now call into the Capitol during these hearings about bills related to foster youth. And there's a public comment period where you get, you know, one to three minutes to speak about 
whether or not you support something um, or to share something with the legislature. Um, and I remember the first time I did that, it was related to extending um, funding for THP plus at the time. Um, so housing for youth who are leaving foster care and young adults. Um, and they were gonna make cuts. And so we organized with all these different organizations and I remember youth being lined up out the door of this hearing room and down the hallway through the Capitol. And each of us stood there and said our, our truth um, and said that they need to fund this and that it prevents homelessness and it gives young people in foster care an opportunity to be successful. And so to hear that time and time and time again was powerful. And we were able to make sure that the governor at that time didn't make those cuts. Um, and, that, and so like it both was healing to me and I think there's a piece of advocacy that I hope foster youth here is not only is advocacy powerful and that you're changing the system, I also think it brings a healing that no mental health service is gonna provide, um, but just the, the power of your voice being heard and you sharing your truth can be healing and can make system change. I completely agree. And especially when those resources, like for example, how you mentioned the TH plus housing, that is a big resource that foster youth definitely needs when they are aging out of the system, like former foster youth eventually. So that's like our, our big one. So when it was in risk of getting cut, that that was that was scary because it's like where to go to next if there's no family member or you know, just anything. That's like immediate, like you're going to be homeless and you have to think about these things. So just the fact how we can talk about it and the fact how you advocate for that, it's, I appreciate it so much and it, it helps just a lot. So I appreciate it. Um, take us back from, you were from the LA County like me, you grew up in group homes. They labeled you severely emotionally disturbed and you aged out of the system care to homeless, yet none of that stopped you. Associate's degree, bachelor's of social work, master's of social work. How did you do it, Rochelle? You know, a lot of people and a lot of support helped me get where I'm at. Um, I definitely remember um, my experience in foster care was rough. And um, well, while most of my group home experience was was not good, um, I had one good group home experience where I'm still in touch with a couple of those staff who have become permanent connections. Um, and, it, and them cheering for me and supporting me and showing up to my graduation from high school and showing up to my college graduations um, were, were pieces that helped me that people don't think about from the emotional support of permanent connections. Um, going through different educational programs, like I said, like I hadn't used technology. I also hadn't written a paper in high school. And the only book I read in high school, I read two books. Um, one was To Kill a Mockingbird, and the other one was um, the first Harry Potter book. And that one, I just had to put the headphones on and listen and look like I was changing pages. Um, and so I was totally ill-prepared for life. And so I had to spend a lot of time um, in very like basic credit, no credit, remedial courses at the community college, learning how to write a paper, learning how to read a book, learning how to study, um, learning how to use a computer. So it took me about 10 years to get my bachelor's degree because I spent many of the um, early years learning basic life skills. Um, thankfully, I had the support from Department of Rehabilitation, was able to help me originally like get funding um, and navigate 
the Board of Governors fee waivers and FAFSA and all these different things that I didn't understand. Um, I had a teacher's assist assistant from high school who also helped me um, get connected to different services. She helped me get Department of Rehab services. Um, and then, you know, I, I have to say it was really, I had a, at different times, people showed up for me um, in different ways um, that helped me just take little steps forward each time. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't believe in this idea that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get through it. It's about um, community. It's about support. Um, and so I think for people listening, I would say, what are the ways you can show up and help a foster youth, um, either currently in care by being an advocate with them, like as such as a CASA, or is it something that you can do to help people navigate systems or, you know, um, my, uh, one of the adults in my life, um, after I was 18 and homeless, told me I should get a bank account and took me to a bank and showed me how to do that. So these are all the different ways that you can help a foster youth develop the life skills that they may not have learned because of the way the system is set up and, and get them set up for success. Um, so how I got here was a lot of perseverance um, and a lot of support and help from all kinds of different people in small and big ways. Um, and so I think the more foster youth get that, the more likely they are to succeed. And I, I really do believe it takes a whole community to raise a human. Um, and that means into adulthood. Um, and even as adults, we need a community of humans um, to, 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 to navigate and survive the world. I, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, yeah, I, I too, it was the people along the way who helped me out when I needed it. They got me to where I am and got me through. Uh, but I think that that underlying perseverance, you didn't give up 10 years to get your bachelor's degree. Uh, that uh, The fact that you persevered to achieve that and then went on to get your master's is phenomenal. Um, so how do you deal? And I think that's something that all of our youth need to, to understand. It's okay if it takes time. You just need to persevere through it. And it's okay the fact that you came out and you don't know how to use a computer or you have only read To Kill a Mockingbird and kind of read Harry Potter. Uh, it, it, that's okay. That's just where you're at. And and it's, it's building from there. So, but how do you deal with the fact, how did you deal with the fact that uh, you were far behind when you looked at your peers? And, and there's a feeling of inadequacy that comes with that. Uh, and, and how did you persevere through that? You know, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think there's sometimes this experience, even now as, as the ombudsperson, where I have like that imposter syndrome, like, do I really deserve to be here? Do I really have the skills to do this job? Um, and and can I really be successful in changing the system? Because that's what I signed up for, was to be a part of changing the system so that other kids didn't end up leaving foster care in LA with bus tokens and a list of shelters, right? Um, and and so it was, it was hard. I think it still is hard when you grow up in, in foster care and you don't have the kind of familial uh, roots and context, you know, like in, in college, it was still hard when I got those assignments, like do a family tree. Um, and those are painful. Cause I'm like, well, do I do these staff from the group home that are my natural connections? Do I do these bio people that I don't really talk to or have any connection with? Um, those are all painful moments. Um, when you turn on the TV, you're reminded of it also. Right. 
um, that you don't have this family context that the rest of our society does. So I think building your own family, making chosen family um, is one of the ways that helped me feel like I'm a part of something and that I'm loved and cared about. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to choose. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, it, it's, there's a piece of healing that I think we all have to do once we've entered foster care. Just by entering foster care, um, there's deep wounds that happen um, that tell us something's wrong with us or something's bad about us um, or our family. And so healing from that and finding the different ways to heal from that has been also a part of my journey um, through, through you know, mental health, um, counseling and other things um, uh, and, and finding the ways that I can like fill that that uh, wound in my soul and try and heal that has been a part of how I can keep doing this work. And what I think we have to pay attention to is how do we, how do we heal those wounds? Um, and the system's not going to help with that. Well said, very well said. Uh, and I, uh, I agree with you. I think it's about finding your community, finding your family. It's totally cool to build your own new family uh, once you get out of care. And as Rochelle said, and I, I want people to listen to this, that it's okay if you came out of care and you're behind your peers. Uh, that's the nature of the system that brought you up. And no, that's no reflection on you. But what is a reflection on you is your persistence through it and continuing to work hard and find those people who will advocate for you and advocate with you and help you scaffold up. So uh, uh, so if you try, somebody will be out there to give you that helping hand. Is that what I'm hearing, Rochelle? Yeah, I think it's reaching out and being brave and asking for support and not judging yourself for not having um, the tools or the knowledge, uh, no one has it. And there is no right path. This idea that you, you know, go to high school for four years and graduate and go to college and, um, you know, graduate two more years later, that's, that's just unreal. It's not a realistic expectation. So don't, I would say, try to let that go. Um, walk your own path. It doesn't have to be the path anyone else says. Um, like I said, it took me 10 years to get a bachelor's degree. When I got my bachelor's degree, I had no desire or goal to get a master's degree but then i came to this place of in my work wanting to do more system change and the only way i knew how to do that was i needed to have more education so i went back and got a master's degree and when i finished with my bachelor's everybody was like go right away and get your master's go 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 and i was like no i'm gonna work like my goal was to work and change the system i'm doing it and it wasn't until i decided for myself i needed a master's degree that i went and pursued that um and it was because I want to change the system. So I would say, let all of those scripts and lies that people say you have to and really listen to yourself, listen to your heart, your intuition, your goals, whatever it is, and pursue that. Um, and that it's not easy. Life's never easy. But that pursuit of it and accomplishment, no one can take that away. Fabulous. Well, I think that that that's where we're ending. That's just fantastic. Uh, thank you, Rochelle, so very, very much for taking the time uh, with us today, explaining how you advocate for change, 
for foster youth, how how you got to where you are, and most importantly, that it, it listen, it is about persistence, it's about believing in yourself and just follow your own path. So thank you so very much. And remember always, uh, you can check out byfoster.org. We've got tons of resources for you along your journey to help you along your journey and make sure that you get scaffolded to your, your independence and your uh, best life. And remember, you've got people like myself and Kiera, just a phone call, text away or email to, to give you the support that you need along your journey. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on iFoster Futures. Access iFoster self-directed job skills training at our website, www.ifoster.org or on your iFoster app.